0: A London teenager goes missing in a Malaysian jungle during a family vacation. Authorities believe she simply went missing, but her parents insist she was abducted. Meanwhile, hundreds of local searchers and several specialized foreign search and rescue teams comb the jungle looking for the girl. After 10 days, her naked body is found in a location that was searched dozens of times before. What happened... Tenora Curran. Killing. Missing. Hidden. A podcast about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden. It's your old buddy Brad here to spin your yarn about another strange death in Malaysia. Now I'll do my best, but as usual, expect me just to butcher some names in this one. Hopefully, no butcherings that are too insulting to them or their loved ones. This is going to be another weird one. We've got some really strong Missing 411 vibes in this case. So those of you who dig those stories should enjoy this one. We also have the police bringing in Shaman to help look for this girl, supporting what we learned about Malaysian culture in last week's episode. At least when it comes to the government and spiritual matters being mixed. If you want to learn more about this case, check my show notes. I think this episode probably has the most citations to sources of any that I've done, suggesting it may be the most extensively researched. I don't know if I would necessarily claim that, but certainly got a bunch of source material to look at. Um, And that's, I mean, this is out of all the episodes I've done. I kind of went nuts trying to get the facts right in this one because there was just so many contradicting sources. Hopefully I got more right than wrong, but we'll see. All right, we're just going to jump into this vortex of madness that we call a podcast. Nora Curran was 15 years old when her family took a vacation to the Dunson Resort in Malaysia in August of 2019. Now, this is a resort that describes itself as very exclusive, a self-contained complex surrounded by 4,000 acres of thick jungle. The trip was planned to last for two weeks. Now, when the family arrived, all they wanted to do was go to sleep, even though it was 7 a.m. local time. They had just survived an overnight flight from London to Kuala Lumpur, then traveled to the resort over land. It was 18 nonstop hours of travel, so they were whooped. The resort assigned the family to one of the seven houses they keep available for guests on the property. Nora was allowed to sleep upstairs with her two younger sisters in a shared bedroom. Now, the Dunson Resort is a high-end facility that attempts to give its visitors a feeling of being secluded And just kind of all wrapped up in nature, as best I can tell. The houses don't come with any televisions. The only Wi-Fi that's available is in the common areas. And the excursions that they plan for guests are focused on appreciating the natural beauty of the area. Like, (laughs) the experience is so real that, you know, if you go check out the, the biggest attraction is a nearby waterfall... And apparently, you know, you go swimming in there, you're likely to come out with some leeches. There's a hike uh, that takes you up into some mountains. And apparently some of the uh, trails aren't much wider than your foot when you're walking. And they get slippery when it rains. And, you know, you kind of take your life into your hands. So that that's unique, right? The food provided is done in a farm-to-table sort of way. You know, I guess you, you can't buy Oreos for dinner. Um, you're going to be stuck with whatever they grow there. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Um, the rooms are designed to give visitors just breathtaking views of the area. Like that's how they're designed. That's what they focus on. And from the pictures I saw, they kind of hit a home run there. Uh, most of the information I'm getting about this place comes from the reviews I read online. They didn't pay me to say any of this, sadly, but it looks like a really unique spot. If, you know, if you're able to travel to Malaysia and can afford the room rates, which are a tad high, uh, you know, if the Dunson resort wants me to come do an episode live from there, I'll be happy to. Now, because of its design, the the resort didn't put an emphasis on security. Uh, it's out in the middle of the jungle. They figure no one's going to mess with you. So, there's really not a whole lot of security cameras. There's no barriers that prevent somebody who's outside the resort from coming into the resort. And it lacks a lot of what you'd probably consider just common safety fi- features at a resort. This is my attempt at foreshadowing, so be prepared. I know bad things don't normally occur on this podcast about bad things, so that's why I wanted to give this warning. warrant. All right, so though she was 15... Nora suffered from a condition known as holoprosencephaly, or something like that. As best as I can understand it, this is a condition where a person's brain doesn't develop correctly. It doesn't form into two hemispheres like you always see in textbooks and stuff from high school. And because of that, it left little Nora with the mental age of a six-year-old. Um, plus many other restrict you know restrictions that stem from that. She had very limited verbal communication skills. Um, you know she couldn't really read or write much. She had difficulty walking more than 20 or 30 meters at a time. and she she was very shy uh, and essentially was dependent on her parents to kind of get through each day, particularly her mother. She was you know she clung to her mother and she really, needed her mom in her life she couldn't be alone she just could not be left alone and she seemed to to lack the ability her condition caused her to not have any real problem-solving skills so for example one of the things i read was say she got separated from her mom in a grocery store or a clothing store or what have you Um, you know her default response would be just to sit down on the floor and start crying And then if a store employee came over and say, "Hey, come with me. We'll look for your mom," she would get up and comply, whether she wanted to or not. She just she kind of lacked the ability to question authority, and she would never, ever, ever fight back or resist in any way. Um, You know, she went to a school that catered to her needs, and even there, there was some bullying. And apparently, you know, if people. Kids were picking on her, whatever. She'd just stand there and cry, but she wouldn't put up any resistance. A relative, I believe it was an aunt, who was interviewed said, "You know, Nora was even too scared to go into her own backyard without somebody right there to hold her hand." Uh, But you know, in spite of all these challenges she faced and and how difficult her world was, Nora was described as just a doll. You know, she had a huge heart. She loved her family. And they adored her, of course. And you know, we we always hear in the true crime world that you know had a smile that would bright up a room or light up a room or whatever. But Nora is probably one where that that's a genuine, um, a legitimate expression to use. So the uh, family again, you know, had the exhausting trip to get there. They spend basically their first day just in the resort recovering you know getting over their jet lag but they were excited to explore this eco resort and the next morning everybody awoke early but they quickly realized something was wrong nora was impossibly missing the family of course instantly started to freak out as you would if you had a child with these limitations you would you would know what a serious situation this was immediately and Nora's dad didn't hesitate. He called the local police to report his daughter's disappearance. And before we get into the meat of this, I want to give a quick or quick and massive shout out to a YouTube channel called Top Mysteries, hosted by a fellow named Adam. Uh, he does an amazingly thorough breakdown of this case. It's you know, one thing you will learn as we go through this one is there's a lot of conflicting bits of evidence. And, you know, Adam has his opinion on how things go down. I don't necessarily agree with him on all of this, but it's just the way I interpret it in my speculation. I don't think it's a bad thing because it's it's giving more ideas to the world. And he's clearly done his homework. Uh, so I would encourage you to go watch... His summary of this case, if you find it interesting, he takes a little bit more of the missing 411 approach to the case. And, you know, me, I take the boring old lawyer approach. So, you know, if if you, watching the video won't be a waste of your time, you'll get a different take on it. I put a link directly to the show in his show in show notes, but I'm sure you can find his show with a quick search. Again, it's called Top Mysteries. And just type that in, and um, you'll find the channel, and you'll you'll find this episode pretty easily. But back to our story. When the police arrived, they arrived in force, as you would kind of expect. Um, you know, this is a high-end resort. Uh, you've got folks from London that have come in to spend a lot of money. And the people in Malaysia, of course, want to help out and do everything they can to, so people know that it's... A safe place to visit so you know sources claim that when the officers showed up they brought with them somewhere between one to two hundred officers or one to two hundred people parents were convinced that nora couldn't be far first of all like we said earlier she could only really walk 20 to 30 meters at a time she went to bed just wearing her underwear and a thin t-shirt She had no shoes on, Um, you know, based on her lack of problem solving skills, I think, you know, Nora's parents didn't believe that she changed into clothes and there was no evidence that she did and they don't think she grabbed her shoes. Her shoes were left in her bedroom. Um, So Nora would have to be outside in the dark alone, nearly naked without shoes in an area that's been designed to be as wild and untamed as possible for tourists. Now, Nora's parents and the police kind of instantly had a falling out. Um, The cops, you know, are being told that a 15-year-old's missing, so they think it's a teenager that snuck out. And, of course, what we know, that sounds virtually impossible for Nora, but... She really wouldn't know she wouldn't she doesn't seem like the sort that would have the instinct to go explore from everything you read about her. It's just not a trait she would possess. Her life revolved around being with her parents, particularly her mom. But I, you know, part of the reason the police grabbed onto this theory that Nora snuck out is because there was one piece of very important evidence that we haven't discussed yet that everybody heed on, regardless of what side, you take in this investigation. Everybody focuses on the fact that there was a downstairs window that was found wide open in the morning when Nora's parents were certain that all the doors and windows and whatnot had been shut the night before. Now this particular window, Nora's mom would say this and the owner of the resort would later admit the locking mechanism on the window was broken when Nora's family came to stay. And, you know, regardless of what theory we follow, we can take comfort in the fact that Nora is being looked for. The police have at least 100 people searching whether you think she skipped out on her own or she's been abducted. Now, the big problem with the dispute was... Nora's mom in particular wanted the search area expanded because if Nora had been abducted, she wouldn't still be in the local area, which is logical. But the police were intensely focused on just searching the jungle. And in fairness to the police, and you know, I'm a former criminal defense attorney, I'm not going to bend over backwards to protect the police, but I, I am here because I think Probably there was a language barrier that caused the initial confusion. You know, I think they were able to communicate that their teenage daughter was missing. If you're told a teenager's missing on a trip, I think most of us are going to say, okay, they probably did sneak out. Because that's what teenagers do. They do stupid stuff because they think it's fun. But I think it took a while for the police to truly appreciate Nora's limitations and why her sneaking out wasn't really that feasible of an option or that logical of a conclusion. But, you know, the police were adamant that at least in the press, they were not considering the possibility of abduction. They were looking for a missing teenager. And I, you know, I get where the Nora's parents would come from. That would burn me up if I'm saying she physically cannot run away from here. Why are you not treating this more as a kidnapping or abduction? Now, I would note that one thing that I found peculiar is that Nora's mom insisted in part for her reasoning that she was abducted is that Nora couldn't, she wouldn't be able to figure out how to manipulate the locks on the window. But when being questioned by the police, she conceded that Nora could have accidentally gone out the front door while looking for the bathroom in a new place late at night. But once she got outside, you know, Nora's mom says she likely would just sit down and start crying and hollering for me. Nora's mom also tells police that during the night she heard voices. They weren't loud enough to really wake her up because, you know, again, they're exhausted. But she definitely remembers hearing whispers. She couldn't understand what they were saying. She didn't even know if they were what language they were speaking. She, but she could just hear people talking, and it was multiple people. The dad backed up the mom on this saying, yeah, I heard it too. But it doesn't appear that Malaysian police ever really bought into the story for whatever reason. Now, because Nora's mom was Irish and her dad was French, not only did uh, England send resources, the Irish and the French also sent resources to assess in the search. So you've got Malaysian police out looking. You've got French police. You've got Irish police. You've got English police. Uh, They also sent professional search and rescue experts Who spent their entire time in Malaysia in this jungle looking for this girl? These countries, excuse me, these countries also sent diplomats and translators and other kind of support type personnel to help ease the strain the family was facing in communicating with the local authorities. And though the sources weren't totally clear on this point, I believe it was really at this moment when the translators and the you know, the, the support personnel show up that the Malaysian police truly understood Nora's situation. And at that point they did unofficially expand their search area to look for routes that would have been likely taken by kidnappers or human traffickers, but publicly the police continued to insist this was just a missing persons cage case. Now, the Malaysian police, as well as some of the other countries, sent uh, police dogs to help with the search. And curiously, a lot of the dogs caught Norris' scent near that open window. And they could follow the scent for a few dozen yards outside the house. But all the dogs lost the scent before reaching the jungle. And police roamed all around the area with the dogs, never caught another scent. Police also had a pretty clever idea. They drove around on, you know, in vans, they bounced around in all-terrain vehicles and motorcycles, playing a recording of uh, that Nora's mom made of her basically saying, Nora, it's your mom, come out, we miss you, we love you, please come out. The um, powers that be involved in this case were also able to secure the assistance of a special unit known as the Oh, Lord, here we go. Me butchering a name. Sino Proc. This is basically kind of a, a volunteer unit of indigenous locals who are expert trackers. They know the area better than anyone else in the world. And they've kind of formed their own search and rescue group to help out whenever somebody goes lost in this part of the world. Now, police, you know, they're out there hiking around searching too, but they're also doing traditional police work. They find several fingerprints near or on the window, and they couldn't get matches on most of them. Obviously, they, you know, like Nora's mom's fingerprints were on there. Some of the cleaning staff's fingerprints were on there. But they had three or four, depending on what, which report you read, fingerprints that they just could never match with anybody. And I think to this day have never been matched. Searchers managed to find several footprints that they believed to be Nora's in the jungle about five days after she went missing. There are only a few of them and they were near a stream, but it was kind of the first bit of hope that they had during the search that Nora was alive. And, and, you know, in some way, shape or form, she was walking around at least. Now, no information was really offered as to how old the fingerprint or the footprints were thought to be, which I think would have been helpful, but it, it just didn't make it into any news report. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, Malaysian officials hired multiple shamans to help look for Nora. And, you know, like we talked about last week, uh, it, this is common in the Malaysian culture. They have a very strong belief in the spiritual world and they rely on it heavily when making important decisions or taking on any important tasks such as looking for a 15 year uh, 15 year old girl here so the shaman come out and pray all around the resort and you know make offerings to the various gods and spirits in an effort to find Nora on the ninth day, now we're never told on what day they show up, but on the ninth day that Nora's missing, kind of the head shaman, for lack of a better term, reported to the police that they had determined that she had been abducted by a jinn or a genie, is what we would call them in America. And this djinn supposedly wanted Nora as his stepdaughter, for lack of a better term. The head shaman promised that the group would work hard throughout the night to try to find a way to appease the djinn, but warned that when dealing with a spirit like this, something would have to be given up, something very valuable, before the djinn would be willing to return Nora to her family. Amazingly enough, the search ended the next day, but not the way we wanted to. Nora was found dead. She was near the stream where her footprints had been found. She was lying naked and on her back as if she was sleeping. Kind of in the classic relaxing pose, you know, where you've got your your hands under your head. That's apparently how she was found. Um, but, you know, the life was gone from her body. She was less than a mile and a half from the resort or less than 2.4 kilometers And it was in an area that had been heavily searched over and searched multiple days. Now, the police described the area as inaccessible, though the chief admitted that search and rescue teams had scoured the location days earlier. And one interesting fact, I didn't really know where to throw this in, so we'll throw it in here. When her, when she was examined on the scene, several of the search and rescue personnel noted that while her, you know, her legs and her thighs and her torso were kind of cut up from what you would expect walking through the jungle, you know, just branches and leaves and thorns catching you and all that. She had little cuts and scrapes and abrasions. Her feet were pristine. Not one cut, not one bruise. Not even any little pebbles stuck to them. Her feet were totally clean. And she's out there without any shoes that anybody's aware of, you know? The leading theory that police and others came up with was that Nora came to that stream for water and then laid down to take a nap or just kind of collapsed. Searchers who had been through that area suspected that Nora had to have been dumped there after she died. Because they thought her body wasn't hidden in any way. It was just laying out there. And they had walked through there so many times it would have been impossible to miss her. They did opine that where she was found, it it wasn't inaccessible, but it was very difficult to get to. And at least one searcher went on the record saying that he believed... A barefoot 15-year-old girl simply couldn't reach this part of the jungle on her own. Another interesting tidbit that just needs to be stuck in somewhere. Local villagers who lived uh, near the stream or river, it was described both ways, so I don't know how big it really was, uh, claimed to have seen a young white girl swimming and bathing in that stream, or river the day that Nora disappeared. An autopsy that was done in Malaysia found it probable that Nora had died from a combination of extreme stress and hunger. It claimed, The report claimed that there were no signs of assault, sexual or otherwise, and ruled that Nora's death was due to misadventure. It also concluded that Nora had been dead somewhere between two to four days before she was found. Now, Nora's parents challenged this finding in the Malaysian court because they just didn't think it was possible. She had to have been attacked and killed somehow. And shockingly, they won. Uh, The judge that heard the case ruled that it was illogical to conclude that a young teenager with Nora's limitations could have navigated such challenging terrain and been able to avoid detection for so long. This ruling required the coroner to find the death, or to redefine the death as open, meaning that because it's not misadventure, it's now open, there's no official ruling on the cause of death, police were allowed by law to continue investigating it. Now, this was, interestingly, in spite of a second autopsy that had been performed by a British pathologist, and that pathologist reached the exact same conclusion as the Malaysian authorities. But the ruling which came down in June of this year has been seen as a huge victory for Nora's family, Again, because police can continue to work on this case and treat Nora's death as a possible homicide. I've entitled this part of the episode in my notes here, Oh My God, The Questions, (laughs) because that feels right. We are going to ask and try to answer a, a ton of questions here. So I'm going to start with one that objectively is a a bit of a silly question in the grand scheme of things, but I touched on earlier. It's just a detail that nagged me. Nora's mother stated that she was aware of the window that was found open having a broken lock. That when Nora's found missing, you know, it's wide open. But Nora's mom also kind of got really upset and really defensive when police suggested that Nora open the window. Now, if it was locked, I understand to some degree why Nora's mom would want to impress upon police that Nora just could not have been the one to open it. But it seems undisputed here that the window was not locked and could not be locked. So why pick that fight? If the window's not locked, nobody's claiming that Nora could not open it. I think the real issue that should have been argued here and according to reports was not the main focus of their conversations is Nora wouldn't have gone outside from what we know about her, whether or not she could open the window, she would not have gone out into the dark. I mean, there could have just been a giant hole in the wall there. And I believe that Nora would not have gone outside by herself. So the issues, not the window. But the, the parents, especially the mom, really got in the police's face about this. And, you know, that's worrisome because this is evidence of the parents being non-cooperative with the local police from the get-go. And I get it. I mean, everybody's panicked. Lots of folks respond poorly in situations like this. So it could have been that, they, you know, Nora's mom was just out of control with emotions And it came across as combative. But sadly, that slowed down the investigation. And sadly, it kind of raises some other questions that we're going to get into. Now, this kind of fits together with our next question of why were the Malaysian police so insistent that Nora was missing rather than abducted? I mean, statement after statement you see in the newspapers make it clear That at least the brass, the leadership of the police, refused to at least publicly entertain the idea that some sort of abduction had occurred. The reports indicated all the locals' police efforts was spent searching the jungle surrounding the resort instead of looking for any human trafficking type of leads. And that strikes me as a bit foolish You have to consider that possibility. And I do think from reading some of the articles that that was actually done unofficially. But I think the police's attitude, at least towards the media, had a lot to do with protecting Malaysian tourism. Because that's one of the biggest industries in Malaysia. You know, to have a European special needs child abducted from this pricey exclusive resort that could easily have some ramifications and could negatively affect tourism in the country. And I'm guessing that police were kind of monkeyed with by politicians, at least on the PR side of this case, into saying this is just a missing person. There's no abduction. Nobody needs to overstate anything or freak out. I'm hoping that's as far as the political meddling went, but it very well could have come into directing the entire search operation, which would be bad. Now, one question I had doing my research that again, I've kind of hinted at in telling Nora's story. Why are there so many conflicting media reports? And If you go and do your own research or just pull up the articles I listed in my show notes, you'll see conflicting reports on even the most basic of information. Like, for example, I don't know what time Nora was discovered missing. Each media outlet offers a completely different time. It was somewhere between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., but we don't know what. And that seems like a fact that would be pretty easy to nail down if you're a reporter, you know? You know, likewise, another thing. Never found a consistent number of shaman, shaman that were brought into the investigation. There were photographs that were provided in articles. I don't know that these were photographs of uh shaman at the resort. But in those photographs, you saw the, about five or six working together. Yet some reports said there were over a dozen that were on site. And again, individually, each one of these details for the purpose of us as the public don't really matter, except for the fact that it's so concerning that if you can't tell me what time this child was discovered missing, how much can we trust of your reporting? I mean, even the BBC can't tell you what time the child went missing. It's one of the most basic facts of the case. I mean, when you're talking to the cops, that's going to be one of the first questions asked. And there's not going to be a debate on it. You woke up at a certain time. You saw your daughter was missing at that time. Why do we have a two-hour window when that could have occurred? And that's just, you see that consistently with each detail major, or minor, in this case, depending on which newspaper or other source you go to to read. All right, our next question. Why did the police insist the area Nora was found in to be considered inaccessible, to be totally impenetrable, just this lost land of jungle? Obviously, it wasn't totally inaccessible because her body was found there, Obviously it wasn't totally inaccessible because search teams were reported to have scoured the area several times. So that must mean, why are they looking there if they think it's impossible for Nora to be there? They had to believe that she could have gotten there. And again, this wasn't some let's roll the dice and just check to see if she came here. They scoured the area multiple times. If you believe the newspaper reports, They found her footprints there days before. It is entirely possible that it's virtually impossible for that's not a very good sentence, but we're going with it for a teenage girl with her limitations being barefoot to navigate the terrain. But let's ask ourselves this is it more likely? for this young girl to have stumbled into this terrain on her own or is it more likely for a kidnapper or abductor to carry her dead body through this rough terrain and leave it laying in the leave her laying in the position she was found in without leaving any tracks of his own It kind of makes me think the area wasn't as impassable as police claimed. And if we believe that story of the villagers, it sounds like Nora may have been there the day she went missing because they said she was swimming and taking a bath. That brings us to the next question. Do we want to believe the villagers? (laughs) Here's Nora. A girl reportedly too timid to go into her backyard alone, whose stress response is to sit down on the floor and cry. And on the first day she's in the jungle, she's bathing in a river? That just doesn't work in my mind. Now, in fairness, the only details we get from the villagers is that they saw a young girl who was white. We don't know any more details beyond that. It could have been another family staying in the resort. The villagers could have just gotten some detail, you know, that detail wrong. I personally don't buy the story that they saw Nora the day she went missing, just bathing and playing around in the river. That's contrary to everything we know about Nora from the way her family describes her. And it's not, just her parents it's her extended family too you have that consistency mom says it dad says it aunt say it uncles say it grandparents say it so i i'm very inclined to believe that her limitations are not being overstated okay we got to talk about the condition of nora's body now she's found in a previously searched area laying naked next to a stream resting her head on her hands as if she were sleeping. Everything about this, to me, screams that she was not just dumped there. Or, if she was dumped, it was done by somebody who really cared for her. Now, traditionally, when a murder is committed by a stranger, the killer doesn't care what condition the body's left in. But a telltale sign that somebody has been murdered by a loved one is when the body, some modesty, some degree of respect is left for the body. You know, if you walk into a crime scene and you see a woman wearing a dress laid over the bed and her I mean, the dress is pulled up, you can see her underwear and all that stuff that's going to suggest a stranger killed her and left her in that position. A husband or a child is probably going to pull down the dress to cover up her unmentionables. So she's has that dignity and death. So why is she being left naked, but in such a peaceful position? And, you know, this part bothers me a lot because it just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't follow any traditional patterns. But I will acknowledge that the tendency to keep the dignity may just be a, an American thing or an Anglo-Saxon type thing. It may not be a cultural tendency in Malaysia. I don't know if a Malaysia husband would cover his wife, you know, after murdering her. So on this point, it does make me lean towards believing that Nora merely laid down and never woke up as hard as that is to fit in with the rest of the facts because she's described as laying there in such a peaceful position. Searchers were able to find Nora's footprints on the fifth day of the search. The articles I read left me with the impression that only a few were found and in the muddy areas surrounding the stream. Now, since Nora's bodies found near that stream, were there really no other footprints in this area? Going back to the question I posed earlier about, are you more inclined to believe that she wandered into this impenetrable area or was she carried by a killer into this area? Nora was a small girl for her age. She weighed somewhere around 40 kilograms, which is just under 90 pounds. Imagine a grown man, let's say, because a man's much more likely to commit a, a murder of a child than a woman is. How could a grown man walk through the same terrain? leave the body in that position and not leave footprints. It just, I mean, he's going to be probably double her weight, wearing boots, carrying her, which is going to add another 40 kilograms or 90 pounds on top of everything else through this muddy terrain. And there's no heel marks anywhere. You know, there's no place where it looks like footprints were covered up. That's just really hard to believe. And so that makes me think Nora traveled alone. Now, as to her cause of death, it sounds weird. You know, she died from stress and hunger when she was out there 10 days, but she would have died on either the somewhere, you know, the 6th, 7th, or 8th day. You know, typically you don't succumb to hunger that quickly. What I could gather was that the stress they're talking about involves Nora developing an ulcer in her stomach. And then the hunger, of course, causes her belly to grumble. And the consistent hunger rubbing against, you know, the the hunger pains rubbing against that ulcer could cause it to rupture and cause her to end up dying from eternal bleeding. Now, that seems quick to me, but using my WebMD degree, it looks like it's possible for people to develop stress ulcers in a short time of 72 hours when they're put in emergency-type situations, which clearly, to Nora, I would think this would be an emergency-type situation. And not eating can also contribute to the creation of an ulcer. So I reckon that this timeline works. She goes missing. She's already had this stressful trip. She goes missing, develops an ulcer on, say, day three of the search. From the hunger, starts rubbing on it. It ends up bursting on, say, day six. And you know, she bleeds out sometime between day six and day eight with her body being found on the 10th day. Now, I did take the time to run this scenario through my fancy sister, who's a doctor, and she confirmed that in her opinion, this timeline is possible. It's much more, she said that someone can bleed to death from an ulcer only a few hours if it's been ruptured. But she opined that this scenario is much more plausible if the ulcer is a pre-existing condition because she said, yeah, it's possible to develop an ulcer that quickly, but that's one of those things that's possible. It's just, you don't see it in real life very, very often. So considering how Nora has these extreme reactions to stressful situations, I'm willing to, I'm open and willing to accept the idea that she may have had a pre-existing ulcer and may have had problems with ulcers before this trip. None of our newspapers look into this or discuss this, of course, so I'm speculating. We also, you know, have no evidence of other injuries on her body that at least has been reported other than minor scrapes and bruises. So there's not another cause of death we could say was being overlooked or could be pointed to. And so we've got, in my opinion, more evidence piling up on the side of misadventure rather than murder. But that leads us to the biggest question of all in in this case, right? With everything we know about Nora... How could she manage to get outside and into the jungle? How could she do that when she's not capable of going into her own backyard? And this is where you can really start making the missing 411 arguments, if you're of that persuasion. Uncanny disappearance. Sniffer dogs don't really catch much of a scent. She's without shoes or other clothing. She's special needs. She's found in what's described as an impossible location. She's found right next to a river. She has no evidence on her feet of traveling through such rough lands, and nobody can figure out how she died. Those are classic missing 411 factors. But can't we look for a more concrete theory on what happened rather than just chalking this up to a missing 411 mystery? Or... Accepting the shaman's idea that the, the djinn stole this little girl to be his stepdaughter? What would make this girl go outside at night? What would make her feel comfortable enough to go outside into this very strange place to her at night? The scariest time of day for her. Well, holding her mother's hand certainly would. Being bullied into it could also do it. But would being bullied by strangers cause her to leave? If it's presented to her as, we're the police, we're here to help you, or we're adults and we need to get you out of here, I don't know. Maybe maybe that works on her. But I get the impression that really her natural reaction is going to be that stress, panic, sit down and cry deal. Plus, think about it. The opportunity for abduction is, that's a small window we're talking about here. That's a small window. Truly, what are the odds that she's taken the night she arrives in Malaysia? If that's what happened, and I'm not saying it's not, but if that's what happened, it would have to be an inside job to some degree. I mean the front desk clerk or somebody working at the hotel would have to have connections with some sort of operation to say, Hey, we got people staying in this this house or this bungalow or what however they describe it. There's a broken lock on the window. She's, you know, special needs. You can probably get her without much fuss. But why her? She's got two other sisters who Probably would be more valuable on the black market as ugly as that sounds to say, you know, maybe it was intended to be a kidnapping because these clearly had to be wealthy people. If they're coming to a resort like this and maybe once the kidnappers got a hold of Nora, they did not realize kind of what the amount of, of work that would go into keeping her. Well, uh, I mean, Pulling off this kidnapping alone with a, I I don't want to sound crass or rude, and I apologize if I do, but with, you know, somebody who doesn't have the challenges that Nora presents. Just pulling off that sort of kidnapping would be pretty incredible. And that's without having the benefit of scouting the scene. You know, you'd have to enter the house through the broken window, go upstairs, carry the child downstairs, pass her to an accomplice on the other side of the window, get out of the house, drive away, all without waking any family member, all without causing the child to cry or yell, and apparently all without leaving any traceable fingerprints. That just seems so, so risky in my opinion. Now, I do think if you're going to do it, it's going to be part of a human trafficking operation because then you're not worried about whether or not the parents are going to pay. Um, you're just going to sell her for whatever amount of money you can get. But but I think a kidnapping would yield more money because parents rich parents are going to be willing to pay more to get their little girl back than any sort of buyer on the black market would. Again, unless the abductors simply did not realize how much care Nora required. And like I hinted to earlier, we do have to entertain the possibility that the parents were involved. No evidence of this. This is all speculation. This is all just putting pieces together to make a theory. But again, Nora would not be upset if it was her mom asking her to go with her. Maybe mom even has some extra clothing and extra pair of shoes to make it slightly easier for Nora to walk. Now, it's undisputed from family members and friends that Nora was excited about this trip because she wanted to see the waterfall. Well, that river slash stream we keep talking about, that comes from the waterfall. So it could have been possible that Mom says, let's go check out that waterfall, honey, just me and you. Now, of course, there's that... Problem, of course, you know, Nora can't walk very far. So she would need help getting to the waterfall. Uh, It was a mile and a half away. She's only walking 20 to 30 meters, which is roughly 60 to 90 feet at a time. Maybe dad would have to come along and kind of give Nora a piggyback ride to the waterfall. And, of course, this would have been challenging. I mean, this is not an easy hike, especially at night. But it's not something that would require a superhuman effort, I don't believe. They had to go 1.5 miles, but they only had to go 1.5 miles. And then, you know, reaching down into some of the worst that I've seen during my days, maybe they get there, they play with Nora for a bit, and then they say their goodbyes. Mommy and Daddy have to go get something from the house. You stay here. If anyone comes looking for you, hide. Don't leave with anyone but Mommy or Daddy. Oh, and let us take your clothes so we can wash them for you. You know, they leave Nora in the jungle, allowing nature to commit the murder for them. Because they had spent 18 hours traveling, would anyone really suspect them in this situation? I mean, why would you travel so far? To kill your daughter. And of course, if they're tired the next morning from having done this, no one's going to find that suspicious because of the traveling they had done. You add in that broken window, and it's kind of the perfect opportunity to paint Nora's disappearance as an abduction. Especially when they both claim to hear these odd noises at night, but it's not disturbing enough for them to wake up, which is... That's a little weird to me. You know, with Nora's condition, pushing the abduction angle on police would have been very easy, Would also explain why the window story mattered so much to Nora's mom. Why she pushed that abduction angle so hard, you know, get the police looking in for Nora in areas, get the police looking for Nora in areas where she won't be found. there's, actually no reports that either parent went out there and participated in the search for Nora. Uh, I mean, the mom did do the recording of, you know, with her voice and whatnot, but that seems to be as much as they did in the search effort. The couple also hired a very prestigious, highly regarded, well-known attorney. Very, very early on in this investigation. And they said they did that to help deal with the local police. To me, that doesn't sell very well because you've got Irish diplomats and English diplomats and French diplomats there to help perform that exact same function. You know, maybe he was hired to advise on other matters as well. Once Nora was found dead, the family just went home to London to have Nora buried. They never returned to Malaysia for the coroner's inquest or any other court proceedings. They allowed the attorney to take care of that. So I know what you're saying is Brad, come on, listen, we're talking about the death of a 15 year old girl in very sad circumstances. Why are you trying to paint the parents as a bad guys? What motive do you have for even suggesting this? There actually was a motive that some people have pointed to. Think about what a burden Nora would be on her parents. I know that's ugly to say. I I get it. I've I've had friends with special needs childs. I get it. It is an intense labor, but it is a labor of love. But not everybody's built for that. And after 15 years of doctors' appointments and surgical procedures, and physical therapy, and special education classes, and just dealing with the day-to-day things Nora simply wasn't able to do. Is it possible that the parents just were whittled down from the stress and made a decision that we would all find appalling? And again, like I said, they've got some excellent alibis here. Why would you plan this trip just to murder your daughter? Why would you travel 18 hours to have her disappear and die of exposure or, or hear stress and hunger when you could have concocted something back home? Well, if Nora dies at home... Her doctors are going to be there. Doctors have been treating her for 15 years. And they would know very quickly if something was off in Nora's condition. But here, she's lost in a jungle hundreds of miles away. She's in a situation that nobody can really account for how it would affect her. And the only doctors that would be on hand would be doctors that are in no way, shape, or form familiar with Nora's condition. The British pathologist noted that some of his findings were inconclusive because by the time the body made it back to London, decomposition had already set in. So, that's another small factor that weighs kind of on the side of considering that her parents had more to do with this story than a lot of people may think. Now, having said all of this, this infant side theory works well for the beginning and middle of what we know about what happened for Nora, but not so well at the end of the story. Nora being found asleep next to that stream or river remains an oddity. You know, it's entirely possible in my fantasy theory here that Nora followed her mom's commands until she just had to come out for some water and then collapsed from stomach pain. But I think that's the only theory that works with the rest of the parents are murderers approach. So I think that's all we have. I don't really know what else to discuss on this one. Um, it's a mess as you can tell. There's lots of different ways to go down it. That's why I, I recommended checking out the podcast or the YouTube um channel to hear a different opinion on it. Um if I had to offer a final theory, you know, gun to the head, what I think happened. I think the evidence weighs against finding that Nora was abducted. I don't think anybody came by and took her. That would have been a mess, in my opinion. I do think it's possible. I just think it's unlikely. Somehow and for some reason she got out into that jungle. I don't know how she would have done it on her own. I mean, frankly, I'm more inclined to believe the djinn story than the idea of this poor girl struggling on her own to walk through all this vegetation and rocky landscape, barefoot, and have no marks on her feet. That is so bizarre. That just makes me think she had some sort of help. So, I suppose, again, gun to the head, if you force me to speculate as to what happened, I would go with the parents had something to do with it. It's a terrible, terrible accusation to make on such shaky evidence I truly hope that I am totally wrong on this. And, you know, I turn around these episodes in a week. I don't spend I, I don't have the luxury of pondering the circumstances for for weeks at a time, months at a time. But it seems like that theory that I crafted doesn't have too many holes in it. And I would argue sheepishly it has the fewest holes of any theory that we've discussed in this episode. Well, our our second Malaysian case was no more fun than the first, huh? Probably much less fun considering the victim. You yeah, know, I, I do like that we get to keep some strangeness in the story with the missing 411 elements. I mean as by now you should know without a doubt that I love having strangeness in our tales. Um, still, it's just, this story really got to me. It's really sad. Um, you know, she just a sweet little girl who was dealt a crappy hand by life. And by all accounts, you know, her parents did a good job taking care of her and she was a lovable little girl and all that. Um, you know, I don't like offering that theory that I, that I offered. And I, I do hope I'm wrong. I, I don't, I don't truly believe that's what happened, but that's the best guess I can make off of the shaky evidence we have before us. There's more out there, we just haven't learned about it. And hopefully, since we've had this new revelation of the Malaysian court saying no, this case is not closed. Keep investigating. We actually will have some degree of certainty come out of this. We'll have new evidence and we'll be able to say, this is what happened. We know for a fact that X and then Y and then Z happened. And that would be wonderful because I I just would love to have closure in this case. I hate that it's open and I hate that it's such a mystery. Um, But it's it's an interesting tale I had not heard and I I thought y'all would enjoy it. All right, well let's uh, we need a palate cleanser in this one. I think pretty badly right now, Mister Eli. Big football fan for his age. Big, big football fan. Unlike the rest of us in the South, instead of being a college football guy, he's an NFL guy, and his team. Well, let's do the joke, and then I'll I'll tell you his team. So here's the joke: What does a New York Jets fan do when their team finally wins the Super Bowl? What do Jets fans do when they finally win the Super Bowl? They turn off their PlayStation. See Eli is a Miami Dolphins fan, so he loved the fact they was able to get a joke in here and a burn on an opposing fan base at the same time. Um I don't think we have any business to discuss today. Just keep doing all that awesome hard work y'all do to help this little baby podcast grow. you know, Apple reviews are awesome. Sharing the show with friends is amazing. Recommending us on Reddit. If you play around on there, that's actually really helpful. Um, You know, sharing us on social media of any kind we love. You want to do more? Okay. We've got lots of cool merchandise you can buy. You can join our Patreon. You can go out there and smite our enemies, you know, just all the usual stuff. So thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for tuning in. I hope you found the story interesting. I hope you don't hate me for my theory on the case. Um, Again, it's not one that I love. It's one that I hope I'm wrong. And as you can tell, I feel a little ashamed about it, but I'm just giving it to you straight up. Um, I hope you get lots of nice little surprises from someone in your life today. It won't be from me, but from someone and, you know, just keep kicking butt at life. That's, all we can do wake up each day look life in the face and give it a whooping so I'll be back next week with a tale about something else that's terrible I can't wait to see you then Brad out thank you for listening to Killing Missing Hidden make sure to rate subscribe and share questions email us at info kmhpodcast.com